be with us today as we uh, as we learn from your word. We just ask that you would teach us, God, and that you would uh, show us what you'd have us to know, and that you would uh, uh, work through uh, work through our, our hearts and our minds as we uh, as we get to read your word. The the honor of reading your word, and Father, we just pray that you'd be our teacher today. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Okay, so Acts chapter five. We got through. Somebody give me last week what happened. You ain't got to give me the whole deal. Just tell me what what was it about? What happened? I mean, I know it was about lying, but tell me the story. That's right. And what happened to them? They died. They died. They dropped dead. Dropped dead right there in the middle of the church. And what happened to the church after that happened? They got, <laughs> they got bad scared. Who would? Who would? But they continued to grow. You see the miracles and the God kept using the church, kept working through them and all those things. Well, <clears throat> what we're going to do is we're going to see, and I'm going to try to, I'm going to try to go fast because I'd like to get the whole rest of chapter five done. Uh, but it's a lot of verses, so it may it may take us a while. And if we if we start talking amongst ourselves and having questions and discussion, we'll just. I'm not going to rush it, so it's all good. Uh, What we're going to see here in the rest of chapter 5 is, once again, all the ministry, all the miracles, all the people that are coming to hear the apostles preach and all this thing, it's going to tick off the religious folks. They're going to get mad, and uh, they're going to haul off all the apostles now, not just Peter and John. So, first thing, let's just start reading. If you got a question, just spit it out. We'll talk about it, whatever. If you got something you want to say, just let me know. I'd love to not have to lecture for 45 minutes. So, please get involved. Verse 17 says, okay, remember what's going on. 16 says, there came a multitude out of the cities, round about Jerusalem, bringing sick folks, them which were vexed with unclean spirits, and they were healed, everyone. All the people were coming into Jerusalem uh, to hear the apostles preach, to hear the gospel. This is the fulfillment of all of those Old Testament kingdom prophecies that said Jerusalem will be filled with people in my city and they'll come in and and people from all the nations will stream into Jerusalem. It's happening right now. The, The apostles are preaching. People are people are coming into Jerusalem. Verse 17 says, Then the high priest rose up, and all they that were with him, which is the sect of the Sadducees, and were filled with indignation. They were indignant, meaning they were mad, they were jealous, they were, they were uh, upset, and they laid their hands on the apostles and put them in the common prison. So instead, last time, you remember they got arrested, it was just Peter and John. They had just healed the man at the gate called Beautiful, and they didn't really go to prison, they were just held in the temple complex overnight right well now the the high priest and they've had enough of all this preaching remember this is not just 12 dudes standing around with a group this size this is this is eight nine thousand people gathering in the temple court now hearing these apostles preach listening to this to what so the the high priest and the sadducees sadducees were the kind of aristocrats they were the kind of ones that were in charge uh, the pharisees were more like the 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 
scholars and the law keeping guys. And so they would be doing their business at Sanhedrin to look out and see 8,000 people or 10,000 people, how many ever around the apostles. And they about had enough. You know, I'm about, we're about to get rid of this thing. And so they rose up and they arrested them. Verse 19 and 20. And then we'll talk about it in a minute. It says, But the angel of the Lord, they threw him in a common prison. This is the prison where they kept the criminals, not like some holding cell in the temple or whatever. They threw him in there with all the all the common criminals, the common you know thieves and robbers and all those things. It says, But the angel of the Lord by night opened the prison doors and brought them forth and said, Go stand and speak in the temple to the people all the words of this life. Now... Let me ask you this. They were in the prison. An angel of the Lord came and opened the prison doors and let them out. Is that a principle that we should uh, trust in as we go talking to, let's say you're going to go to Indonesia or some Muslim country and preach. Should you, should you be... Should you be uh, uh, should be you be expecting an angel to come and let you out of prison if you get thrown in for preaching the gospel? No. Okay, why? It's not a, I mean, it's not a trick question. You're right. You shouldn't. It's possible, but no. Because later in the same book, we're going to see Paul doesn't get let out of prison in Acts chapter 23. Two places, Acts chapter 33, and then in Acts chapter 28, he doesn't get let out of prison. Why did the angel let them out of prison? Was it because they needed protecting and they needed to be comforted and they needed to be watched <laughs> over? Why did the angel let them out of prison? I had something they had to do. Okay, what was that? Preach the gospel. Right, right. They had to go preach the gospel. Now, let's, let's, let's put all this together now, okay? I'm, let's say I'm an apostle and I'm standing with my 11 buddies. And we're preaching to a crowd of eight, ten thousand people, right? And the temple priests, the captain of the guards, and all them—they come and they arrest us and they put us in jail. And that night, an angel opens the door and tells me to go right back to the place that I got arrested the day before and start preaching again. What am I going to think? Is you crazy? <laughs> I mean, they're going. He, he says. I want you, the angel says, I want you to go right back to the exact spot that they arrested you yesterday and start preaching again. And he says, I want you to preach all, I don't want you to change the message. See, I'm thinking, now, you know, we might need to dumb it down just a little. Maybe, maybe not accuse them of murder so bad. You know, they murdered Jesus. Every time Peter's preached so far, he's accused them. Whom you killed, he's accused them of murder. I don't want you. I don't want you to dumb down the message. I don't want you to leave anything out. I don't want you to do any of that stuff. I want you to go right back to the place where they arrested you. I want you to start preaching again, and I want you to preach all the words of this life. Now, what principle can you draw from that in your own situation, in your own life, in your own workplace, in your own school, in your own wherever it is that you go? What's the principle? Yeah, yeah. And when you face adversity, when you face, you know, more than likely today or this week or next week, nobody's probably going to throw you in jail for preaching or cut your head off. 
It may soon happen, you know, you never can tell, but more than likely it probably won't happen. But, you, you know, you may have all kind of different reactions, all kind of things. That is what is supposed to happen. That's what, sorry? Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, they really had nothing to lose. I mean, of course, they were just going to put back in prison, weren't they? Okay. Yeah, well, they could be killed. I mean, they were in prison and they got taken out, so they could come back. Well, yeah, you're right. The thing that the thing that is amazing about this is these are the same exact people that killed Jesus. This is we're talking, you know, a couple of months. Months earlier, Jesus stood before this same council and he was charged with the same thing that they're being charged with and he ended up on a Roman cross dead. You know, so when they are brought before the council, I can't help but think that in their minds they're thinking, well, I'm fitting to get it too. You know, I'm fixing to get it too. The amazing thing is, is that because they were filled with the Holy Spirit, they didn't care. Come on. I mean, we're going to see Peter address. This is, the Sanhedrin is like the power in Jerusalem. The only people that could, were over the Sanhedrin were the Romans because they were in charge of the place. If, if Jerusalem ruled itself, they were the government. This is not just like the church council. You know what I mean? This is the government. This is the one who makes the laws, the one who enforces the laws. They were the big dogs. And so they could, they could make the laws. They enforced the laws. The only people that had say over what they did was the Romans because they had the big army. You know? And so when they stood there, they weren't just they weren't just standing before church council going, eh, you guys are wrong, so you need to whatever. I mean, they're in criminal court. They're in, they're being convicted of a crime. Earlier in chapter was it three? Chapter four? Uh, they yeah no it, three or four. They gave a command to Peter and John: Do not preach anymore in that name. And what did Peter and John do? Got halfway out the door and they was preaching in the name, you know. So that's what they're going to they're going to bring them in. They're going to say, "Okay, now you've broken the law and they're going to they're almost going to kill them right here. But a guy named Gamaliel steps up and stops it. We'll see all that. I don't think they really help themselves. The miracles they had seen in the last few days. You know, they had seen the angel. You know, they had actively heard and seen the Lord right there in front of their face. Absolutely. I don't think they could have done anything else. I don't think they would have been scared to go back out and pray or to teach because they knew God was willing. They had seen too much in the last few days. It was too intense. Sure. You know. And the worst that could happen was death. I get to go be with God. What were they scared of? I don't know. Honestly. And the, it, the strange thing, it's not strange, I guess, but it's amazing to me that it was just, I'm talking about two, two and a half months earlier that Peter was terrified to say, I'm one of Jesus' followers to a slave girl. And now he's standing in front of the power. I mean, he's standing in front of the rulers, the ones who are going to decide his life or death saying, <laughs> You know, forget y'all. You know, I'm doing what I want to do. You know, I mean, he's filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit is the one that is 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 guiding him. And you can see, I'm thinking about what you're saying while I'm while I'm talking, and it reminds me of the Israelites in the wilderness. 
You know, I want to think, and this is just my fallible mind, but I want to think if I saw a pillar of fire jump over the jump over the army, and you know, it's leading me, and then there's an army coming up behind, and so the pillar of fire moves from the front to the back to protect. You know, I want to think. That's God. You know, I'm going to be faithful. But they didn't. They were like, you know, they doubted at every turn and everything. And so I think the definitional thing in the reason why they were the way they were is the spirit of God living inside them. Does that make sense? I mean, they could not have done anything more than what they did. And they even said what you said. They said we can't help but preach what we've seen and what we've heard. I mean, this was... Sorry, that's me and I'm the new Oh, okay, go ahead. I just couldn't find out who was talking. It's always me. It's all right. <laughs> I was just going to say, it's, you know, you think of these people that get arrested for, you know, abortion clinics or if that's as far as they want to make up picketing and stuff. They throw them in jail. I mean, the next day they're back out there. Yeah. If you strongly believe in something, it's like Tammy was saying, you're going to go, you know, I mean, people are arrested all the time for picketing and, you know, rioting and. They, it doesn't matter what they do, but on the next day, you see on the news, they're right back out there again. Yeah. Doing it. So yeah. I, mean, they just, I think they just believe that strongly. Oh, I guarantee you. There's no doubt. No and doubt. they were warned. You know, Christ had told them, because they hate me, they're going to hate you. And they will throw you in jail. Yeah. He, I mean, he, he told them, you. this is what's going to And not that it may or it could. It, you do this in my name, this is what's going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, just like Tammy said, they went forth knowledgeable knowing what just they just seen a couple of months ago yeah and we're ready you know they went just like we said they went believing knowing seeing god move and so they once they <coughs> accepted the fact that you know i'm willing to die for this there was no holds bar right and i think that they knew i think they expected to die because jesus died months earlier and think about it remember that it was the angel that commanded them i'm letting you out of this prison i want you to go right back to the temple complex i want you to go right back to preaching and teaching they couldn't have helped but know that they were going to get arrested again so in their minds they were probably thinking this is it for us we're going to die well i mean we're going to get killed and so that's what but they obeyed thank you jesse verse 21 says uh and when they heard that, they entered into the temple early in the morning and taught. They did exactly what the angel told them to do. But the high priest came, and they that were with him, and called the council together, and the Senate, uh, all the Senate of the children of Israel, that's the ones who were, the, the whole council was there, and they sent to the prison to have them brought. Now, I've got to admit, this is the funniest part of this whole section. It's just so comical that they... they, they uh, 1,500 feet away, these guys are preaching to whoever it could have been from eight to 15,000 people. And 1,500 feet away, this, this, this religious assembly is meeting together saying, okay, uh, all rise. You know, they're doing whatever it is they do. And then it's, okay, go to the prison, get these guys. We're going to come and try them. And they go to the prison. They're not in there. <laughs> it's just hilarious to me. Uh, Think about it when it says... And all the senate of the children. Yeah. Same thing will happen with our senate too. They'd be the same way, just dumbfounded. 
They dumbfounded over a lot less. Mm-hmm. Where, where was the guard when, they, when Jesus took them out of prison? I mean, what did, it doesn't tell us. Yes, yeah, that's, that's another question. It doesn't say. All it says is the angel came and opened the prison door and let them out. And then when they found them, look at verse 23, uh, verse 22. When the officers came, it found them not in the prison. They returned saying, the prison truly we found shut with all safety. That means the doors were still locked. And the keepers standing without before the doors. But when we had opened, we found no man within. So evidently, you know, we, we're not told. I mean, they could have could have made them go to sleep, could have whatever. But I, I don't know. But when they found the prison, the doors were still locked. Evidently, the angel locked it when they left or something, locked it back. And the guards were still there. The guys who were now remember there was in there was the prison's not just a room with set with bars on it. There was inner rooms in the prison and then outer rooms in the prison and everything. So I mean, who knows? I'm just kind of using my imagination, but. Uh, Maybe the guards were knocked them out or made them go to sleep or we're really not told, so we're just left to speculate. But it is kind of funny that you know you're the guard and you're standing there and it's all good. We come to get the prisoners. Okay, here you go. Open the door and they're gone. It's like where'd they go? Oh. <laughs> And so it was. I'm pretty sure that's the first time they ever lost some prisoners. Like, and would you? How would you like to be the captain of the guard and the officers to come back? I don't know what they had. I don't know what they're gone. What do you mean they're gone? You know, and they're waiting to try these guys, and they're gone. It's it's what you see is the it's it's like a. I want to say juxtaposition. What's another word for juxtapose? Okay, that's a. Uh, it's, con- con- it's contrasting, contrasting. It's contrasting the power and authority of these religious leaders to the power and authority of God. Religious leaders say, do not preach anymore in this name. Do not do what you're doing. And when they came, arrest them, put them in jail. They're not going to do this. We're going to try and we're going to get this done. And then you got the power and authority of God says, look, I'm open the gate and I want you to go right back and do exactly what I told you. Go back to preaching. And so what we're going to have here is we're going to have, we're, we're seeing the, the contrast between, we're seeing the struggle between these two authorities. God is telling them, go back and preach in the temple. Go back and do what I told you to do. And these religious leaders are saying, don't do that anymore. And so that's exactly what Peter's going to say. Uh, we're going to obey God rather than obey men. And so what you see is that you see this, this contrast. The God has all the authority. I got the authority to open the prison and let whoever out I want out. You know, you can't lock them up if I say they're not going to be locked up. Uh, the religious leaders think they have authority but have no authority whatsoever. What do you mean they're not in the cell? Where'd they go? You know, so it's almost like you got you got God saying, I'm the one that's in control. I'm the one that's going to decide what happens. And you got these religious leaders saying, no, we're in control. Uh, where do prisoners go? You know, they, it's kind of it's kind of comical as they're trying to assert their authority. And really, they don't have it. Does that make sense? Y'all with me? Okay. It just proves <laughs> control for us is just an illusion. Yeah. Okay, so where are we at? 
24. Okay, verse 24 says, Now when the high priest and the captain of the temple of the priests heard these things, they doubted of them whereunto this would grow. Now, what does that say to you that the first thing they worry about is what this is going to do to all them people out there that are listening to the preaching? Where was the, where were their minds at? Yeah. They weren't worried about... It, I don't have an answer to the fact. I, the question I asked was, why did they never, in this whole chapter, never ask, how do y'all get out of jail? I mean, never ask the question at all. They, when the disciples are brought to them, they don't ask them, how do y'all get out of jail? They, they don't care. They don't care about truth. They don't care about, hey, is your message true? Uh, is what you're preaching? They don't care about anything. All they're worried about is holding on to their own authority, holding on to their own tradition. And when all this goes on, when the guards come back and say, they're not in the jail no more. I don't know. They're gone. The first thing they think of is, man, this movement's going to get big now. How are we going to hold on to our position? How are we going to hold on to our authority? And what we see is that people do that today. We do that in our own lives. I want to keep my authority. I want to keep control of my life. I want to keep everything. I want to keep everything the way that I want it. I don't want nobody else telling me what I need to do. And you know what? Some of us, I say us, I'm talking about people in general. People are, are like, you know, I believe this Jesus guy. I believe there's a Jesus and I believe he died on the cross and I believe all these things. But I'm not giving up control of my life. I'm not giving up control. I'm going to do what, what I want to do. I'm not going to do what he says to do. I certainly ain't going to go put myself in danger by obeying this angel that let me out of prison and says go preach in the middle of this temple where I got arrested yesterday. I'm certainly not going to do anything that's going to, going to harm me or bring discomfort to me. And that's where so many people are. This is what they were doing. The, they didn't care. They didn't care if Jesus was who he said he was. They didn't care. These guys, to be a, a Pharisee, you had to memorize the Torah, the first five books of Moses. I don't know if y'all ever tried to memorize a book of the Bible. It's pretty dang hard. And so they knew all these prophecies. They knew about the Messiah who would come. They knew all of these things. They didn't care. I want to hold on to my own authority. We are the rulers of the people. We are the high class. We're the aristocrats. We're the ones that are in charge. I'm going to hold on to that. And I, you know, the first thing when the prisoners are gone, dang, we're, man, this movement's going to get huge now when they hear that they let them out. They didn't even know where they were. Does that make sense? Okay, I kind of went off on a deal there. I'm sorry. So they're out of prison. 25 says, Then came one and told them, saying, I love it. They're saying, like, Where'd they go? Did they disappear? Are they gone? <laughs> then came one and told them, saying, Behold, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. It's like, Look out the window, Jack. There they are. There they are right there. <laughs> And then, then when the captain of the officers, with the officers, uh, and, and brought them without violence. Why, why did it without violence? For they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. You got, I mean, come on. Don't none of y'all think that's funny. Like, okay, come on, y'all going to prison. We're going to, you know, put them in prison and the angel lets them out. Where are they at? They're outside. Look, they're still preaching. And then they go back and like, uh, excuse me. <laughs> We'd like to talk to you when it's when it's okay with you. You know, you just take your time. We'll, we'll we'll wait on you. You know what I mean? That is hilarious to me. I mean, it's just funny. So the the disciples, they the apostles, they say they uh they say okay. You know, they go in and. Um, 
what they do is Peter starts preaching again. He starts preaching again and it's the same sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 2. It's the same sermon he preached in Acts chapter 3. It's the same sermon that he preached in Acts chapter 4. I mean, he gives it to these religious leaders, these rulers, exactly the same way as he gave it to the people who were standing around at Pentecost. Um, Verse, what are we at? 27? 27. Uh, first, they're going to charge them. It says, And when they brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest asked them, saying, Did we not straightly command you that you should not teach in this name? Notice, through this whole section, they will not pronounce the name of Jesus. They will not say his name at all. They keep calling him this man, this man, this name, this name. They will not pronounce. Why do you think they won't pronounce his name? Fear. <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely afraid. Because you know somebody had to have told them about Aquila and Priscilla. Yeah, that, that's a good point. I thought about that as well. You remember, what's the buzz all over Jerusalem now? At, right after Acts chapter 5, verse part. Ananias. Yeah, two people just dropped dead a few days ago <laughs> for, for messing around with this deal. So they probably probably a little worried, probably a little afraid, whatever. It says, didn't we tell you not to teach in this name? And behold, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood upon us. Who's, I mean, it's like... I'm Peter. I'm like, hello. You did kill him. Yeah, yeah. The blood belongs directly on your hands. If you go back to Matthew, we don't turn there, but you can just write it down whatever. Matthew 27, 25, I think. It's right in there somewhere. That is what they said. When Pilate came out and washed his hands and said, this guy's blood's not on my hands, what did the Jews yell? Let, let, them, let their blood be on us. Let their blood be on us and our children. children that's, right. that's exactly what, and that's exactly what happened. And so now he's saying, it's almost, it seems like the the rulers, the, the Sadducees, Pharisees, the Sanhedrin, they are thinking in their mind, because of their warped thinking, they're thinking that the apostles are just doing this whole big show in order to incite the people to riot against them. You see, it's almost like you're trying to get revenge, trying to accuse us of murdering this guy. And it's, it, they misunderstood the whole thing. And Peter's going to preach to them exactly what he's been preaching. But the charges they bring are two things. Number one, you disobeyed a direct order. We told you to stop preaching in this name, and here you are doing it again. And the second charge was you're trying to put this guy's blood on our hands. You're trying to incite all these people to riot and kill us because of what happened to your, you know, what happened to your leader. That's what they're thinking. And so, is that what they were doing? Were they trying to incite the crowd to overthrow the religious leadership? No. They were preaching salvation. They were preaching the cross. They were preaching God has raised this man from the dead. They were preaching, oh, excuse me. That's what they were preaching. And so Peter's defense is, and I'm trying to go quickly. If we have, you know, stop me if you want to say something or ask something. But it's just so much here. I'm just trying to go quick. But I can stop if we need to. So just pipe up if you need to. Verse 29. This is where Peter starts. He, He says, he says, Then Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Now, 
that's kind of a slap in the face to them good dudes, don't you think? It's like, we're obeying God. What he was saying was, you're telling us to do something God is telling us to do the opposite. And that had to be a slap in the face to the religious guys who were... Remember the high priests, the priests, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the rulers of the law. Their job was to bring people to God. Their job was to represent the people before God. And it's clear that they weren't doing that. When is it our duty to obey God rather than men? When it lines up with His Word. Yeah, all the time. I guess I should have been more specific with my question. Um... The principle here is when we're told, let's put it this way, we're told twice, at least twice in the New Testament, Peter tells us once, Paul tells us once, that we are to obey the rulers and the governors and the government and the kings and all that that are over us. When is it right to disobey the rulership over us as far as governmental rulership? Huh? When it goes against God's word. When it goes against God's word. When we're commanded to do something that God says not to do, or when we are forbidden from doing something that God says we must do. That is when we obey. So let me ask you this. Is it is it right for us to say, you know what, I'm gonna obey God rather than men, therefore I'm not paying taxes this year? <laughs> No, I. That don't work. <laughs> I knew a guy who did that one time. I really did. I knew a guy that did that. I mean, out of protest, religious protest. Well, I'm just—they're gonna do that to me. I'm not gonna pay my taxes. Yeah. Four years later, when he got out of jail, he was. A, yeah. No, we are to obey. There are times in in this life, and there may be times that are quickly approaching where. If we are commanded by government or ruling authorities, whatever, to do something that God forbids us to do, we are to obey God rather than man. And if need be, we're to face the consequences. You know, these guys remember, I've already said it once, but in all, in their minds, they're fixing to die. I mean, they're standing in the exact same spot Jesus stood in. And being accused of the exact same thing, causing sedition, causing riots. That's what Jesus was accused of. And so, for, for, in their minds, they're thinking, look, this is it. We're finna die. So, you know, it's all good. Uh, we are commanded to, to disobey rulers and authorities when they command us to do something God has forbidden. Or they forbid us to do something that God has commanded. So you're forbidden under penalty of law to share your faith with some, somebody. Then we break the law. And it's interesting to me, this is not, let me, that's not in the subject, but I'll, if we have time, I'll come back and I'll, I'll share that with you. Uh, so Peter's preaching and he says, we ought to obey God rather than men. He says, and then this is his sermon. The same one as it preached over and over. It says, the God of our fathers has raised, raised up Jesus, whom you slew and hanged on a tree. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and savior for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sin. Now, first of all, he flat out accuses them of murder again. I, I'm digging Peter. I really love. I really love his style. He's done. Everybody he's talked to so far, he said, "Well, you know, you killed Jesus." 
I mean, everybody, everybody he's preached to, the Acts chapter 3 in the Pentecost, he said, this Jesus whom you crucified, you know, whom you... And he says the same thing to the common people, to the regular crowd that was out on Pentecost. He says the same thing to the high-ranking, rich Jewish Sadducees, aristocratic members of society. You guys killed Jesus. But God exalted him to the right hand and made him prince and savior that repentance and forgiveness of sins can be granted to Israel. Can you imagine? I mean, these guys are saying you're trying to incite these crowds against us because you think that we killed this Jesus. And Peter says, you did kill Jesus. He says, but we're giving, we're offering you repentance and forgiveness of sin. He's offering these guys, the Sanhedrin, the ones who don't care about nothing. They're going to they're gonna reject everything that Peter says. They're going to reject the gospel. They're going to reject all this stuff all the way to the end. We'll see it at the end of Acts. But here, they're being offered the forgiveness of sins. That is amazing to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, these guys who will do anything to stop the preaching of the gospel, stop the growth of the church, stop all this stuff that has come from Jesus' life ministry, they're standing before him and they're saying, no, we're not trying to incite them against you. We're offering you forgiveness of sins. The God of our fathers is he, he connects it with all that's come before. This is the God of this is not this preaching of Jesus. It's not just some new thing that we've come up with and it's some novel thing that nobody's ever heard of before. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. This is how all those promises are fulfilled that he has given us throughout the Old Testament. It's it's in Jesus Christ. It's all fulfilled. His, this is the culmination of what we've been waiting for all these centuries, all these years. And the reason we preach him is because you killed him, but God raised him and exalted him to the right hand. Did they realize they had sinned? I mean, were they looking for forgiveness? Who? The Sanhedrin? No. No, they didn't care. Absolutely not. But this same, what, the same sermon that he preached where he said, you killed Jesus, God raised him from the dead, now forgiveness in his name. Uh, twice before, uh, the people at Pentecost, their hearts were pricked and they said, well, what must we do? And then at, when, he, when he healed the man at the gate called Beautiful, uh, he was preaching in the temple and they said, you know, what, what must we do? And 5,000 came to know him. And here's the same sermon preached to these guys and they could care less. They're not going to, I mean, they're going to, they're going to end up whipping them. You know, they're going to end up beating them and, and letting them go, but they don't get converted. They don't, it's the power of unbelief. goes back to what we were saying before. All they cared about was I want to keep my position. I want to keep my authority. I want to keep the status that I have as a ruler of Israel. And that clouded everything. We're, now, what, let me say this. As we progress through Acts, we're going to see that some Pharisees and some priests do come to know Jesus. There are some that do repent of their sin. There are some that do receive forgiveness. So I'm not saying that it was impossible that they could be forgiven because Joseph of Arimathea was a rich Pharisee and Nicodemus was a, was a premier Pharisee among Israel. And we're going to see by the end of it... But, 
No, we're gonna, that was before. When Jesus was crucified, both of them two came and you know handled his body, wrapped his body, and you know they were his followers. It says Joseph of Arimathea was definitely his follower. And what we're going to see in the, I think it's chapter six, we're going to see the there's some priests that come to know Jesus. But at this point, these guys, this Sanhedrin was like, you know what? We're not, we're not, we're not hearing this. It's not going to happen. And then verse thirty two, it says. We are His witnesses, this is what Peter's saying, of these things, and so also is the Holy Ghost whom God hath given to them that obey Him. <laughs> I love that. Remember he said, you're trying to bring this guy's blood on our hands. And he says, well, you murdered him, and we're witnesses. <laughs> I mean, it's like, what can you say? I mean, you can't, you know, we was here, and you murdered him, so, you know. And it says, and so is, the, so is the Holy Ghost, right. How is the Holy Ghost a witness to what uh, the fulfillment that Jesus has given, the salvation he's brought, and the fulfillment to the promises? How is the Holy Ghost? He said the Holy Ghost is witness given to those who obey him. How is the Holy Ghost a witness? Because he's within you. He is, but what have we seen so far in Acts the that the Holy Ghost the is doing? The miracles. Yeah, the, the miracles that have gone on by the power of the Spirit. We've also seen the Spirit come with, you know, tongues of fire and dwell the apostles as they were praying. You see the miraculous things that go on. You see the, the Spirit come and, and change hearts and lives. And, and this is God's testimony. Same thing with you today. I mean, nothing's changed between Acts chapter 2 and today. When you become a born-again Christian, the Holy Spirit comes into your heart and it changes your life. It changes your heart. It changes your desires. And that is the evidence that you have become a Christian. You can see that all through the book of 1 John, which was written so that you may know that you have eternal life. It gives tests all the way through 1 John. The Holy Spirit will change your heart. It'll change the way you walk. It'll change the way you live. It'll change the way you think about things. It'll change everything. And that's how the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God, that we are the sons of God. Does that make sense? With me? Questions, comments, cries of outrage? Good. All right. Now, what do you think that's going to do to these religious guys? I'm watching the clock. Make them mad. Oh, they get so mad. It gets so mad. It, it tickles me to death. When they heard that, they were cut to the heart. This is not a good way either. They took counsel to slay him. They say, we just going to kill these guys. I mean, I've heard enough. I've heard enough. I'm fixing to just, we're going to kill them. Now, this guy named Gamaliel stands up. I'm going to skip over these 34 through 39 because we're running out of time. But Gamaliel basically advises them and says, okay, wait, wait, wait. Everybody calm down. Let's just calm down. Let's make them go outside. Let's talk about this for a second. So they send the apostles outside. And Gamaliel's advice is, listen, if this thing that's going on is of God, you're not going to be able to stop it anyway. But if it's not of God, it's going to disappear on its own. So the best thing we can do is just leave it alone. Now, here's the question. Is that good advice? Oh, it is a trick. I'm telling you right now, it's a trick question. So, be, is that a good is that good advice for us to follow? If it's of God, it's going to work and it's going to flourish and everything's going to be fine. If it's not of God, it's going to dwindle and disappear, so we don't have to worry about it. Yeah. 
Is that good advice? No. I would say no, because that kills your faith. Mm. Well, it does. I didn't think about that. It does kill your faith. Um, it is true, and here's the funny thing. We're also called to be soldiers and get on the battlefield and fight. Right, them, right. So. It's true in an ultimate sense. There's going to come a day where everything that's not of God is going to be wiped off the planet. And it's not going to... So it, that, in that way, it's true. But in this life, it's not always true. I mean, Islam's growing by leaps and bounds. And I promise you, that's not of God. Mm-hmm. You know, and you can see little churches in the country that are dwindling down and dwindling down. and they're, So it's not... What was Gamaliel? Was he trying to protect the apostles? Not no. necessarily. No. What was he trying to protect? The council. The council. Yeah. In fact, I, I, I imagine this Galio guy must have been an older person that they respected, or they wouldn't. Have yes, he was definitely. And, and the words that he spoke was kind of kind of wise in the in the sense that you know he's trying not to make things worse. Yes. Like a peacekeeper. He was a peacekeeper. What he was most worried about was the Romans, because. He was, he was worried about the Romans coming and taking their power, Sanhedrin's power. If I, 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 I get that from the two examples that he gives. Uh, I'm going to end up reading it anyway. I'm sorry. Uh, he gives two examples. He says, he says uh, where am I at, man? 30, 34. Okay, then said Gamaliel to the council of Pharisee named Gamaliel. This is, this, this is actually, he had a student. Uh, whose name was Saul of Tarsus. You might have heard of him. Yep. And so, he, uh, Gamaliel, a doctor of the law, had a reputation among the people and commanded to put the apostles forth a little space, put them outside. And he said unto them, Ye men of Israel, take heed to yourselves. Watch or what you intend to do as touching these men. For before these days, he used two examples. Thutis, boasting himself to be somebody to whom a number of men, about 400, joined themselves, was slain, and all as many as obeyed him were scattered. And the second was Judas of Galilee, verse 37, in the days of the taxing and drew away much people after him, he also perishes. Those two examples, if you read in... There was a Jewish historian named Flavius Josephus who wrote all these Antiquities of the Jews and all, uh, just a bunch of these books. They're great books. You need to read them. Yeah. Uh, he talked about Thutis, which was both of these guys claimed to be a Messiah. Thutis went to the Jordan River with his following saying, I'm going to park the Jordan River just like Moses did. Well, the Romans met him there and they killed him. And they killed him and scattered all his followers and it was over. Okay, and so and Judas the Galilean incited Jerusalem not to pay taxes to Caesar anymore. What do you think the Romans did? They killed him. Scattered his disciples. And so what he's thinking, what Gamaliel's thinking by using these two examples, he's saying, look, let's just back off, man. Look, it's 10,000 people standing outside. The Romans are going to take care of this all by this. And we're not even going to have to lift a finger. Just leave them alone. Let them do it. If it's of God, then you're not going to be able to stop it anyway. You're going to find yourself fighting against God. But if it ain't of God, we don't have to do nothing. The Romans are going to take care of all of that. They're going to, he was protecting his counsel and his deal. He was saying, look, let's just not even get involved. Let's stay out of it. Let the joker grow to as big as it wants to be. And then when Rome comes along and kills these jokers, then they'll scatter and it'll be fine. And so they brought him back in. And this is, this is my favorite part of the story. They whipped him. Verses 40. 
Yeah, it says, and to him they agreed, they agreed with Gamaliel, and when they called the apostles and beaten them, they commanded they should not speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Like, that's going to work. And they departed them from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Now, think about this. I've only got a few minutes left. All it says is they beat them. That really doesn't, that really doesn't do justice to what actually happened. Uh, in the temple, Jewish uh, punishments were they would give you, they'd call it 39, 40 lashes minus one. They would give you just under 40 lashes. They'd give you 39 lashes. Uh, and they would use this cowhide thing. You know, now the Romans used the cat of nine tails thing. I'm sure you all have heard of that thing before. But the, the Jewish temple discipline was this cowhide thing. And every time they whopped you with it, it would leave a mark. A permanent mark. Not like a, a red mark, but a scar. It'd bring blood. And they'd give you 39 lashes. They'd give you 13 on the front. They'd give you 26 on the back. Okay, and so they would do that to mark you as a criminal. And so every time, you know, you out, you know, going for the day's work or whatever, you take your shirt off, you got 13 lashes on the front, you got 26 scars on the back, you were marked as a criminal. This guy's a thief. He's a killer. He's somebody who's been punished by the law, whatever. And so from that day forth, the apostles, as they were walking out of the temple, walking out after uh, out of the, the council chamber, they bore these marks that they would wear the rest of their life. And they rejoiced because now when somebody says, you know, I take my shirt off to go to work. So, man, what happened to you? I get to tell you about Jesus. I, I'm suffering shame. I have the marks of Christ on my body. And they were, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer in his name. Can you imagine 10,000 people outside waiting on them? All that's going on. I mean, it could be anywhere from five to 15,000. I'm just using 10,000 as an as a average. But these guys... Check it out, man. I just got whipped. Look. I'm not going with my shirt, but. <laughs> you know, look, I just got, I got the mark. They were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to receive these marks. It wasn't just, it wasn't just that they got beat, you know, and of course they did. And I'm sure, I can't imagine how bad it hurt. But they would carry these permanent marks for the rest of their lives that I was beaten in the name of Jesus. I, these marks come from being an apostle of Jesus. And they were commanded not to teach anymore in His name after they received 39 lashes. The last verse of chapter 5 says, And daily in the temple, in every house, they cease not to teach and preach Jesus. <laughs> I don't know about you, but that cracks me up. Now, think about this. Gamaliel said, look, let's just leave the guys alone. All right. It's going to handle itself. Romans is going to take care of that. We're not going to have to worry about it. Let's just beat them. 39 lashes. Tell them not to do it anymore. I mean, that's going to hurt really bad. They're going to have scars. They're going to be branded criminals the rest of their life. And they let them go. <laughs> and they started preaching 1,500 feet away from where they just got a whip. I mean, they walk. Can you imagine being the high priest walking to work every morning, having to pass these guys preaching? After you told them, you told them, was this the third time now? You told them not to preach, and he's giving them lashes, put them in jail twice. And they continued to preach in the temple every day. It says every day, daily. They continued daily to preach in the temple, to preach and to teach Jesus. Do you think God could allow them to have those stories and those things? Could he have? I mean, God's God. He can do anything. You know, the miracles that they had seen, when, you know, 
you can see and you know that kind of thing. Yeah. Do you think that they, they really? I think he could have, but I don't. I don't think he did. I don't think so. And the reason, because he says that we were counted worthy to suffer. We were counted worthy to suffer for his name. But I will say this: if it was me, when God opened the jail cell to let them out and said, "Go back to the temple and preach," he knew that less than twenty-four hours later they would have thirty-nine lashes on. And if I'm, I'm just thinking about if just in my sinful self, if I'm, you know, I don't know how they did it, but you know, if I'm standing here about last fourteen, I'm thinking, what did you even let me out of prison for? Me? <laughs> I mean, what did you even do? But they knew they were they were counted worthy for suffering. They were counted worthy to suffer for His name. God, think about it this way. Put it together. God let them out of prison so that they would be beaten for the name of Christ. You see that? None of us want to suffer for the name of Christ. We don't even want somebody talking about us for the name of Christ. But God specifically let them out of prison that night, told them, go right back to that temple complex, and knew that they were going to get 39 lashes before this day was over with. But also, in, I can just see in, in, in their minds, though, they were witnesses to Christ's being. They were witnesses to just how much He suffered. So I can see them as, as badly as it hurts, as, as much as, as pain was inflicted. That with every lash, it was, I'm going through what... what oh yeah, they rejoiced. That's yeah. what it says. They rejoiced for the... I'm just talking about me. <laughs> I don't know if I'd be rejoicing. I'm not I would do that. I'm just saying I can see through their minds. You know, they saw. Well, we we go into that through faith. We go into, you know, knowing he, you know, was beaten for our sins. This many years later, we have that faith and believing that they saw. Yeah. They saw, you know, how he ended up looking like ground hamburger meat afterwards. You know? Yeah. So they knew, I mean, they knew that this could happen and it was going to. Like I said, he, they'd already been warned it was going to happen. Yeah, I th- it's true. And I think the point that we should take away as we go, we're going to have to go to service now, but the point we should take away is that we are called to suffer for his name. We are called in many different ways, many different avenues. And a lot of times, I don't know about y'all, but I'm just a big old baby. And a lot of times I'm like, God, why would you do this to me? Why would you allow this to happen to me? I mean, losing your keys. Yeah, whatever. Losing my keys, yeah. But God knew, He knew when He let if when He let me out of prison, I'd be like, Woohoo! The angel just let me out of prison. But if I would have known what God had in store for me less than 24 hours later, I'd be like, man. But the reality was that they rejoiced in that suffering. And that's what we have to learn to do. God is in control. And that's not just something I say. And we, we, when I say that, all y'all are going, yeah, that's right, amen. And you should be, it is right. But when something bad happens to us, it's hard to hold on to that, that God is in control. I'm just as big a baby as anybody else. I'm like, God, why would you let this happen to me? How, what, how could you do this to me? You know, I'm just as bad as everybody else in doing that. But the reality is that God is God is advancing His kingdom and He is growing me to be more like Christ. And more often than not, when that happens, when His kingdom advances and when I grow to be more like Christ, it involves some sort of pain. 
it involves some sort of lesson that hurts. And so God is, God's moving to, uh, to build His church and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. Is there any questions? Alright, I'm going to try to do all of chapter 6 next week. It's not long. So I'm going to try to, although it's two different sections. So I'll send you all the outline to that. If anybody is not getting the outlines, you're not on my text list, just come see me. Give me a phone number. I'll put you on it, okay? Alright, let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for today. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the truth that we receive when we know that you are in control and that we really don't have anything to worry about. You're in control of all things, even the things that we uh, don't understand, the things that 